Good morning, Generations Church. Pastor Jeff here. I hope you are doing well this morning, but I got to give you a secret. So it's not really morning right now for me. It's Wednesday afternoon, and I'm actually at home live streaming with you today. Um, I recorded this on Wednesday, and I wanted to let you know that, and just in case you're like, hey, how did the band just automatically disappear and magically Jeff shows up? So uh, we're recording this. Uh, I'm actually going to take some time off, and so I'm off this week. Uh, next Sunday, we will have a special guest speaker, someone you know and love. Pastor Vinnie Hankey will be doing Isaiah 65. I'm going to finish Isaiah 63 and do all of Isaiah 64 today. And then I will be back, and we will close up the book of Isaiah with Isaiah chapter 66, the final chapter, as Isaiah sees his final completion of this of this, this vision, this book, this gift that God has given him that we have been working through for quite some time now. And so let me begin by saying this. God instructed Isaiah to tell his people to, one, live distinctly from the world that they live in. And then two, God promises them a savior to come and, and to heal and redeem and restore them. And then three, God says, I want to now come and I want to provide my empowerment, my presence, my power, my, my people. I want to give that to them and I want to work through them and use them. And God says this, you know, almost, you know, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, as he speaks to a people group, he begins to foreshadow what the church will do. And he works through them as they ignore him and then as they return to him and, and he does these things, but it really gives us a beautiful look at who we are as the church. Isaiah has been profoundly filled with Jesus. Uh, and, and we know that all scripture points to Christ, that, that Jesus is God who is uncreated, God who is there in the beginning. But this book has been so clear and, and so amazing about Jesus' role and who Jesus is and what Jesus will do and accomplish and say and be um, that we get the clearest account of the crucifixion in Isaiah uh, chapters 52 and 53 and we get it hundreds of years before Jesus is actually crucified. So Isaiah is an amazing book and though I am glad we will be completing it and doing it, it has been amazing. It has been very timely for us in this season uh, as we have been distanced and walking through multiple pandemics, if you will, multiple issues from virus and economy to racism and, uh, you know, politics and the craziness. Isaiah has been right there on time for us, and it is really great to be, to be in this at the right time. God has been so good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then I will get us started. So will you pray with me? As we gather this morning, God, will you please speak? Lord, it is such a good time to have a video moment, something that is kind of the, the way that we're already doing church. And so I thank you for time to sit at home and watch this. I thank you for time to be resting and be with my wife. I thank you for this last season uh, that we have spent as a church together. And Lord, I, 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 I look forward to what you will do in the coming season. Um, I am not eager about how the coming season looks, Lord, as we are very unsure Schools and churches and all that are very unclear how it's going to look. But I'm always eager to see what you do, God. And so in that, let us be in this moment, right here, right now, not worrying about yesterday or tomorrow, but let us hear as your servant Isaiah prays a prayer 
of longing and lamenting. And let us learn from that, Lord, let, as your people, let us feel that sense of longing for you. Let us feel the lament of the place that we're in. And let us see this through the lens of the church today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It's because of you that we gather. It's because of you that we worship, and it's you that we want to hear from. Would you speak to us today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll give you this as kind of a main idea or a title slide for today. Longing and lamenting in prayer. After proclaiming God's desire for revival, Isaiah desires it deeply. Isaiah is now praying in this passage, and his words go from longing for revival to lamenting how God's people are not ready. Our prayers today must sound like Isaiah's prayer. They, they need to become much like Isaiah's prayer. And so as we see this, Isaiah's been this person that God has used, a prophet, meaning that God is using him to speak to the people, speak God's words with God's authority to God's people. And he's been doing this, and he's been calling the people to something. And as we're on the tail end of it now, in the, you know, the last three chapters, really, as we're there, Isaiah pauses, and there's a prayer from Isaiah. And in this prayer, there's two dominant themes or feelings, and he goes kind of back and forth between them. He, he longs for what God is promising, and I, and I hope that we are longing for the things we've been talking about, longing for God to empower his people, to empower us. Longing for God's presence to be among us, with us. Longing for God to use us to help in this broken world that we live in. And then there's this other side of Isaiah's prayer where he laments the sin of God's people. And we've talked about that a lot too, that where we are, and, and we've summarized that by just saying we look like the rest of the world around us, the, the world that isn't Christians, the world that isn't attempting to follow God, Jesus, the Bible. And so when we look a lot like the world around us, that means we're not looking like Jesus. And that's Isaiah's tension as he goes between these two things. He is longing for what God promises, and he is lamenting the place that they're in, the very thing that's preventing God from accomplishing all that he would do through them. So with that in mind, here's where we are today. Isaiah chapter 63, we're going to start out in verse 15. It says, Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirrings of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. So this is the beginning of Isaiah's prayer. Isaiah's kind of praying like, where are you, God? Like, where, where is your compassion on us? Where is your stirring, your deep longing to be with us? He says, where is your, your zeal and your might? Where is the stirring of your inner parts? I said earlier that prayer is where we should be. This kind of prayer is where we should begin that we would have a prayer of seeking God, that we would, in fact, prioritize seeking God's presence and God's power and, and God's desires even over our needs. Now, just imagine when we all pray, and, and I, myself included, when I pray, I tend to lead off, really, and most of my time is spent with like what I want or what I feel like I need or what uh, a struggle I might be going through. We all do that. We have very me-centered prayers. Isaiah's prayer is going to be more about God's power and presence coming, what God wants to accomplish. It reminds me of the words of Jesus when Jesus says, your kingdom done, uh, come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says that before he says, give us this day our daily bread. 
Right? So Jesus does this, Isaiah does this, and of course, Isaiah less important than Jesus, but if we see this as a consistent theme of longing for God to do what God desires to do, then maybe our prayers should turn and become more like that. So longing for God today, here's a note for you. Isaiah knows that lasting change won't happen apart from God's presence and power. The world we live in only can be transformed by God's Spirit. Isaiah knows this. He knows that he can't change the people. In fact, if you've been following along with Isaiah, Isaiah died in the middle of the book. He wrote the whole thing, and then in the middle of it, the people weren't listening, and so he finished writing down what God had to say, but he kept it from the people. And then midway through the book, Isaiah's disciples, as, people's God, uh, as God's people begin to return and repent and pray, it's the disciples of Isaiah that reveal the second half of it. It's like Isaiah doesn't even get to get it all out. He doesn't even get to tell everybody because they're not listening. He doesn't even get to do that. But Isaiah knows this for sure, that the, the world we live in will never be transformed by us. It can only be transformed by God. When God's Spirit empowers us and we engage the world we live in, then change can happen. In fact, we can't even change people or the world around us. We barely keep track of ourselves. But when God's power empowers us and God then uses us to change people, it's God's transformation. This is when we see sustaining, lasting, long-term change. This is when our communities are transformed, when our, the world we live in is bettered. This is when God engages what we are doing. And so the question, obviously, Isaiah is wrestling with is, God, I want that. Why are we not getting that? God, I, I want that. And, I, and now I see that we're the ones in the way of you doing what you would want to do. So Isaiah has this, this, this transition between longing for God and lamenting the sin and the position of the people. Verse 16 says this, For you are our father, Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from old is your name. This is kind of like Isaiah is saying this. He's like, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they don't even recognize us anymore. We don't look like their kids. Imagine this right now. I'll give you a modern day example. Imagine Jesus or even Paul the Apostle, Peter, John, one of them, they showed up and they came to church and they, and they spent time and they got on your Facebook page and they got on my Twitter and they did this and they did that. Would the church look like today, 2,000 years later, would the church look like the way they designed it? So most importantly, because we were not here to please Paul or James or John or apostles, not Isaiah or Moses, prophets or... We're here to please Jesus. We're here to be obedient to God. Please, Jesus. If Jesus showed up today right here in the midst of us, is what we're doing what he designed for our church to be doing? And I don't just mean generations. I mean the church in the world today, the church in America. Are we the people he created us to be? And I would say, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, that we're in the camp with Isaiah like, no, we're not on track right now. Like, we need to be a different people. We, we need to be distinct from the world we live in, and right now, for the most part, we look just like the world around us. We look like the conservatives around us, or we look like the liberals around us, we look like the Republicans or the Democrats, we look like the people here around us, the people that we agree with. 
And we tend to talk the same way as others do to the people we disagree with. So if we were to take a quick snapshot, and I just grabbed three short, quick things from the New Testament, words of Jesus that define the church. One of them is from James, excuse me. John 13, 35 says this, All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. When the unsaved world around us, when the atheist or Buddhist in Cerritos sees a Christian on social media or in person or out in the world today, do they see, are they, are, they, are they like, oh, that must be a follower of Jesus because they love everybody. Their love for one another and their love for the world around them, their love is so palatable, so known, so present. They must be a follower of Jesus. Or they're so different, I'd like to know why they're so loving. I don't think that's how the church has really defined itself today. James 4 says this, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Is the church today known for its humility? And I will just, as a pastor, say that's been my one struggle throughout this whole coronavirus era, is the church has been incredibly arrogant about its approach to things. We've, we've become more American, more about our rights, and less about Jesus and serving the community we're in. Even when we differ about what those solutions or outcomes might be, we're not marked by humility. And James tells us God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Are we known for our love? Are we known for our humility? For me, two pitches, two strikes at this point. Matthew 5 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Those are Jesus' own words. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are we the ones on social media bringing peace to the conversation, or are we just posting the same things everybody else is? Are we just having that divisive political agenda that everybody else is from one perspective or the other? Are we calling all the same names of the candidates or the positions or the people? Are we posting the same gifs? And I, and I would just suggest that right now, Christians look, we look a lot like the world around us, not distinct from the world. If Jesus were to enter into our scene today, get on social media, would our difference, our presence be so distinct? And, and I don't think that's us. That's what Isaiah sees in his day is that the people of God, it's not they don't love God, it's that they look like the nations around them. They live and treat and act and speak like the nations around them. They respond to crisis like the people around them. They respond to pain like the people around them. They respond to oppression, struggle, trial, hardship. They respond like the nations around them. We respond like the nation we live in, not like the Jesus we serve. Jesus acts differently, distinctly. Isaiah is calling us to that. Back in Isaiah, verse 17, it says, O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Now, this isn't Isaiah saying this is God's doing when he says, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart? He's like, why have you not intervened yet? Because this is what we're doing. Why We're still wandering. And God, why are you allowing? Why are you, why are you even hardening our hearts? Why, why, God, are you not coming in and transforming us? And Isaiah's, really, I want what you want, God, but I see what you see, God. I, I, I want your presence and your power, but I see the condition that we're in. And a lot of us see that today when we talk about this we all recognize like we do look like the world around us. 
When we read Scripture, we see that God promises and proclaims amazing things for the church today. That Jesus says the words, you will do these things and even more than I did, you'll do this. That you, that they define, and we watch in the first century that when the church rallies together and cares for one another, they look different than the world around them. When they invest in the community in Ephesus, literally idolatry businesses go out of business and it causes a riot because the entire community is being changed because of the Christian presence in Ephesus. Where are the people that live so distinctly, so differently today? So longing for God's presence to return. Here's a note for you. Unlike today, Isaiah isn't praying for God or Jesus to return eternally. He's praying for God's presence to return to the people so they can be empowered by God again. And they will do what he has called them to do. Sorry about the typo there. So God, he's not praying for an eternal or a permanent return like you might hear today in Christianity, like, oh, I wish Jesus would come back and make everything right. What he's doing is he's praying for God's presence to return to the people who live in a broken world so they can become the people God has called them to be in the broken world. It's, a, it's the difference between Jesus, will you come back and fix the brokenness, heal the virus, take away the, the corrupt politicians, which pretty much... All politicians. So when we, when, we, when we look at this, it's not the, will you eliminate the world and just be with us? But it's a, will you bring power to us? Will you bring your presence to us so that we can go live in this corrupt world? We can go live amongst the virus. We can go live amongst the job market, the economy, the racial oppression, the violence in the streets, the protest, the pain, that we can be a distinct people in the midst of a broken world. Isaiah's prayer is for God to empower them to be the answer in the broken world they live in. Verse 18, it says, Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you, nev never, you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Isaiah says, We are unrecognizable as a people of faith. They've overrun us, Isaiah is saying. They've, they've torn down your temple, your church, your gathering space. They've, they've, it looks like we've become those like you never even ruled over us. It's like we never had a faith at all, he says. Again, the, the, the number one thing or, or the top two things we really have to assess ourselves by, one is our social media presence, right? Almost everyone's on social media Pretty much everybody watching right now is on Facebook or Vimeo, both social media, right? And most engage with social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, something, TikTok, whatever it is, that engage with social media, post on social media, not just passive receivers of, but also contributors too. Now, not everybody, but most. And so that's one way we can look at ourselves and what is our posture to the world around us? What, how do we present ourselves? And the other is our politics. And a lot of times, in fact, most of the time when those two things combined is when we as a church in America are at our ugliest. So it's voting season right now. An election is coming up in November. And I know that it, it, this, this distancing season has really kind of made time seem so weird and irrelevant. But time is ticking by. Elections are coming up. Candidates are out there. We're down to the top two one on each side, and some other people 
who, who are running. But really, we're down to this, these two people. And I don't know too many people that are excited about that outcome, but I know lots of people that are saying some pretty vitriolic things about both. And Christians are not distinctly different from that. Their social media, their politics aren't different. We're not using different language. We're not peacekeepers. We're not humble. We're not, we're not loving and kind. We're just like the world around us. That has been God's number one critique of his people for the last 64 chapters of Isaiah. The call to be different than the world around us. Here's another note for you. Lamenting our worldly condition. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with the term lament, lament is like mourning. Like when his prayers are like mourning what's wrong. He is longing for, he is greatly desiring what God is promising, but he is mourning what's going on. His heart is broken. His stomach is sick over the condition of God's people. So lamenting our worldly condition. Isaiah's assessment of the people is the same as God's. The people look like the world and not like the children of God. Isaiah's prayer laments that there is not distinction between them and the nations around them. And I know that it's a, a repeated theme. It's something we're saying constantly over and over every week. But every week we talk about this and then we go back about our week and we get dragged back into the world that we lived in. Rather than dragging our world out of it, the world is dragging us in. There's this old comment, uh, this old uh, image that Greg Laurie used to use, and he talked about, uh, um, he talked about the, the world corrupting Christians, and he, he talked about uh, like a white glove and mud, and he said, you know, the, it's not like the mud ever gets glovey, you know? The, the glove is always getting muddy, and, and that's that image of like, we want, to come, we want to rub off on the world, we want to be a solution, we want to be an impact in the world, but instead, the glove is just getting muddy. The glove is just getting dirty. We, as Christians, are just being dragged into the mud like everybody else and participating in and contributing to and adding to. And God is calling us to be different. God is calling us to long for His presence, wait on Him, allow Him to empower us to be a distinct and different people. So here's Isaiah going on. Isaiah 64. Isaiah's prayer continues. Verse 1, he says, "'Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence.'" He's like, would you just tear open the sky and God, would you come down and empower us right now? Would you just rend the heavens or tear open the sky? And then he says that the mountains might quake. And I want you to see this line. This is the first time. We'll see it three times in the three verses. That the mountains might quake at your presence. He's talking about the presence of God among the people. Verse 2, Isaiah continues. As when the fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and the nations might tremble at your presence so there it is again at your presence but listen to the language like fire burns up wood and fire boils water that your presence is this this thing that causes change that causes energy causes power that you're that fire god you consume what is evil and you boil up you empower what is right at your presence. Your presence, God, does this. One more verse, verse three. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. There's his third use of at your presence. 
So Isaiah's recounting the historic, amazing things that God has done for his people, including the things that he's done for these people. Now, again, he died in the middle of this. He handed off this scroll or book or whatever you want to call it to his disciples to unpack to a people that would finally return to God. But he got to see much of this. Think back to Isaiah 6, and there's this really powerful passage that we were able to spend time in. And and Isaiah 6, it says that Isaiah writes, he says, I saw the Lord seated high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And the angels around him were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he keeps, they're saying and they're proclaiming this. And here is what Isaiah said. Here is his reaction. He says, woe is me, I'm undone. Or one translation of the Bible says, I'm going to die. Isaiah's reaction to the holiness of God, to the presence of God is, oh no, not only is God holy, but I am sinful. Woe is me, like a great tragedy on me. That's what woe is, a great pain on me, a great curse on me. I am undone. I'm going to die by being in the presence of God because, and he says this, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. Isaiah's sin, when he is in front of God, the thing that comes to mind for Isaiah is the way he speaks, is the way the people around him, his people, the people of God speak. Imagine that as we talk about social media and politics The very thing that when he is confronted by God, the first thing that comes to mind that he feels like he must confess and it's going to, that if he doesn't, it's going to kill him because of the holiness of God. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. But Isaiah is in God's presence and does not die. In fact, I'll put these verses on the screen for you. It's verses seven and eight. It says, and he touched my mouth, he beating an angel, and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. Isaiah doesn't just get a look at the throne where Jesus is seated on the throne, or God is seated on the throne. He doesn't just get a glimpse of the glory and the presence of the Lord. He doesn't just get uh, uh, just kind of this moment But he has an experience. He he has this place where the holiness of God impacts him. The presence of God that he is in changes him. And he, he knows where he is and he knows who he is. He sees his sin. He confesses his sin. But God doesn't leave him there. God touches him, redeems him, heals him, fixes him. He takes a coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips, fixes the problem Isaiah has. And then what happens next is powerful And we need to be a part of this. God will meet us wherever our sin is. God will transform us if we'll get out of the way. God will do the very thing we need done in our lives, in our community, in our world. God will change us. But then God calls out. He says, now, whom shall I send and who will go? And Isaiah's like, I'm your man. I've seen you. You have changed my life. I want to go. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world, God. That's Isaiah, his experience with God. So looking for God, longing for God's presence. Our next note, Isaiah experienced God's presence. 
He knows the awe, the fear, and the healing he experienced, as well as how God powerfully used him afterwards. Isaiah is praying for that, that we can all experience that. Excuse me. But do we want it for ourselves? You see, it's not enough that Isaiah wants it for us. It's, it's not enough that I want it for us or you want it for us. We must take hold of it. We must submit ourselves to God. We must be the ones to confess. Listen, we're a people of unclean lips. That we are a people of, our, our, we look like the world around us. And God, you must redeem us before we can be used. And then when God fixes that and heals that and we repent of those things and God transforms us, then, then we get to say, God, here I am, send me. Like, I want to be a part of the solution. And my heart for our church is right here that we, Generations Church, not some gigantic church, this little tiny presence in Cerritos, straddling kind of the Orange County, L.A. County border. I know there's uh, several of you that are out of the area that live stream with us too, but that we locally and around the planet, whatever we can do, that we will make an impact, that we would be so transformed that we just look different, that we would just be a different people, that we would be like Isaiah who had been changed by God and just step up and say, I want to be a part of being a solution in the world. You guys know my story. I was a problem for so long. I was the problem. I was a problem for the community, for my family, for the world around me. But God has changed my life, and I want to share that with others. I want to take that and continue to be changed, continue to be transformed. I want to be able to give that away. I want to see people that are stuck in addiction or in broken relationships or in broken homes or, or have no family, whatever it is, I want to see them grafted into the family of God like I have been. I want to see their lives transformed like I have been, like you have been. I want to see God empower us and use us to change the world we live in now and not just wait for eternity. Jesus has, over these last 10 uh, chapters, promising change now through his people, promising that we can be a part of the solution today, not just forever. Verse 4, From of old no one is heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Right? No one is like you, God. You meet with us. Even when we, when we abandon you, even when we run the other way, even when we sin, even when we sin knowing we're sinning, God, we turn around and there you are. You're forgiving. You're loving. You meet us wherever we are. Whenever we turn around, God, you're never gone. You're right here where we need you. No one is like you, God. The second half of verse 5 says this, Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? Behold, when you were angry, God, you were right. We sinned. And we've been sinning for a long time. The church in America has been broken for a long time. And I love the church. I love being a part of the church, a local church, the national church, the global church. I love being a part of God's people. But the church in America, we've been broken for a long time. We've looked like the world around us. We've looked like the rest of the U.S. for a long time. God, you were angry. You were right. We're sinful. And we've been sinful for a long time, he says. Shall we be saved? Isaiah's only moment in this whole thing, he's longing for God's presence to be. He's lamenting the condition. This one thing, there's this one line. Should we be saved? 
But see, we have the gospel. We have Jesus. Jesus came to earth. Jesus stepped off that throne in heaven, entered into human flesh, lived our life, died a vicious, violent death in our place, a death we deserved that he did not. He died our death. He took our place. He was laid in the ground so our sins could be forgiven. So no matter when we turn around, God will be right there and God will love us and forgive us because Jesus covered our sin. Jesus died that we might be made right. And when Jesus rose from the grave, the power of a new life became ours. When Jesus took his rightful place back up on the throne, sat back down, he gave us his spirit. He poured out his spirit on the church that we, the church, get to be empowered. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me, the New Testament teaches us. That we're empowered now to be different. That we're empowered to be his. That we're empowered to be distinct. So when Isaiah says, can we be saved? Should we be saved? Jesus cries out, yes. I have saved you. I have empowered you. I'm the reason. I'm the answer. So that every time we turn back around, we repent and we look up to God, God is a loving, smiling, welcoming Father. So listen, your sin's been forgiven. Come, come be. Come, let me change you. Come be a part of what I'm doing. 2 Corinthians says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not just are you new, you're a new creation in Christ, but you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You, me, we get to participate in reconciling broken people, sinful people to a holy God. We get to join Jesus in the ministry of reconciling people. And when we reconcile people to God, the world changes. We can be world changers because we reconcile people. We join Jesus in his work. Verse 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Just as, God, uh, just as Isaiah says in God's presence, I'm unclean. He now looks to the people and says, listen, you're unclean. We all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Collectively, all continue to sin. We're stained by the world. He says, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It's like everything we even try to do right in our own power doesn't go well. Because God is waiting for us to be empowered by His presence his power. Here's a note for you. Lamenting our condition, Isaiah laments both his sin and others' sin. He knows that we are sinful and stained by the world. What makes him different is how he mourns our condition. Do we feel the lament of our sin today, or have we just accepted how we are? Do we, literally, do we mourn and ache over the brokenness that we have and are? Over the sins we commit, over the sins of our people, our community, our church, our world? Do, are we heartbroken over what's wrong and are we willing to turn and let Jesus change that? Isaiah, the distinction Isaiah has is not that he's not sinful. Isaiah has his own sin. Isaiah confesses his own sin. But Isaiah is willing to be transformed by God. Are we willing today to be transformed by God? Jesus has done everything necessary. Are we willing to be transformed by God? Are we willing to lay ourselves down and look like him instead of the world around us? 
Verse 7 goes on, it says, There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of your iniquities. There is no one who does this. God, there, there's no one who's raising up to take a hold of you. God, have you hidden your face? God, are, are you still there, God? There was the most stark verse that stood out in this last section of Isaiah. And I've used this a couple times. I, I, this one made a dent in me. Isaiah 57.1 says this, The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Isaiah's talking about this. The people that are different, the people that fully live for God, I don't mean weird and corny and talk weird and just do all this stuff and sound like they just fell out of a King James Bible. I don't mean that. I mean the people that live differently, that are peaceful, that are loving, that are humble that are a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, those people are disappearing. And Isaiah says the righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. It's not just that they're becoming an extinct people, that the church, distinct from the world we live in, is becoming less and less prominent, less and less powerful, more and more extinct. But he says the problem is no one even cares that they're disappearing. The righteous are disappearing and no one cares says Isaiah. Will we be that church that says, listen, there has to be righteous people. There have to be people that do the right thing and pursue God and want to be a part of the solution. There have to be those people and we're unwilling to let those people disappear. In fact, we will become those people because we care. Because we know that without this, the world is shot. Verse 8, Isaiah says, but now O Lord, you are our Father. He continues his prayer. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. I want to give us some application. I want to give us some takeaways today, some things that you can pray about, some things I can pray about that we can wrestle with today and ask, where do we fit in this? What do we need to do individually and even collectively, maybe in our small groups, maybe in our homes, maybe in our hearts. He says, oh Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are the potter. God, we are clay in your hands. You make out of us whatever you want to make. You're God. We're not. Here's a note for you, longing for repentance. Here's our first takeaway. The journey from where we are to where God wants us to be runs directly through our own repentance. God transforms his church first and then empowers us to impact the world around us. Repentance is our first step. The United States has a checkered history. We all know that. We hear those conversations all the time right now. We had slavery. Other nations had slavery. Here's something that's been unique about the church. As the church experienced the first great awakening and the second great awakening, the culture began to shift. That racism went away because the church began to participate in the solution. The people were crying out, this is wrong. We should have never done this. Christians started saying, this is wrong. God created all of us, no matter what we look at. No one has a choice in their external uh, appearance. No one gets to choose their DNA or their family or their race. And the church began to speak up. And the church participated in the transformation Where is the church in the transformation today? And it doesn't have to be just that topic, but where is the church? How is the church speaking differently than the world around us? I don't mean speaking like the Democrats or speaking like the Republicans. I mean distinct from both sides. How is the church different? Where is the voice of the church today? Where can God use us? 
The journey from where we are to where God wants us to be runs through our own repentance. God's going to transform us and then use us in the world. Verse 10, the holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and our pleasant places have become ruins. God, uh, what Isaiah is saying is, listen, the places that people used to turn, the churches that people used to go to, they're not, it's not that the building's not there. And in some of these cases, they were raised to the ground, they were burned down. But he's not saying that there's not a place to go. He's saying there's not a people, that the people group has been destroyed. Jesus, throughout this last section, has been saying, listen, though you've been destroyed, I will raise you up. I will make you brand new. I will revive you. If you will turn to me, I will renew you. So there must be in us, as we pray, a longing for restoration. Here's that note. God uses the church, transformed and empowered by Jesus, to impact the community that we live in. The world we want our kids to grow in depends on us. Restoration comes from God, but he chooses to bring restoration through us. Will the church become a place that is prominent in culture again? Not the building, the people. Will the church become a place where people know they can turn to when they need something? Or will it continue to be a place that people will mock and people will say they're just hypocrites or they're just this or they're just too political or they don't like this group of people, they don't like that. Will we become different? Will we create the world that we want our kids to grow up in, the next generation, the generation after that? Will we be a part of that process? Will we allow God to transform us so much, so distinctly, so radically that we begin to rebuild a community that favors the Lord? Isaiah closes with this, verse 12. Will you restrain yourself, God, at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? His final words are, how long, O Lord, will you wait? And really, it's how long, Generations Church, will we wait before we surrender? Isaiah knows it, and we know it. When we're ready... God is standing there. God is arms out, loving, ready. God is powerful to change. God is mighty to save, something we talked about last Sunday. That Jesus is there waiting. The how long, O Lord, is how long, O Lord, before I'll give up my life to you? How long, O Lord, before we'll gather together and be different? How long, O Lord, till your church hears your voice and responds? How long, O Lord? Will you pray with me? Forgive us, God, for, for waiting so long. Forgive us that we have wandered so far that we have become so much like the world we live in and so little like our Jesus, like your son, like you. Forgive us, Lord, when we cry out, how long, O oh Lord, will coronavirus be around? How long, O oh Lord, will racial oppression be around? How long, O oh Lord, will protests be there? How long, O oh Lord, will there be violence in the streets? Forgive us when we cry out, how long, O oh Lord, and we don't turn and say, how long, O oh Lord, before we give up our lives to you and can be a part of the solution. Help us turn from you fixing everything to you transforming us and letting us participate in the solution. Jesus, we love you. You have done everything necessary for us to be transformed. God, you ordained that we would be your people and that you would be our God. Holy Spirit of God, you have come and empowered us. 
you await us to just turn our lives over to you. Help us to be that. Help us to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.